wherever there are shadows, there are people ready to kick at the darkness until it bleeds daylight. This is Bleeding Daylight with your host, Rodney Olson. Welcome to today's episode. Let's keep the conversation going through social media. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. What's the difference between little t and big t trauma? Do we minimise some kinds of trauma when we should really be seeking help and healing? My guest today will help us answer that question. Amber Jones married her high school sweetheart and homeschools her four children. She's a peer psychoeducator who's an advocate for families and individuals in need of hope. Amber is the founder of Grace Story Ministries, connecting people with education, resources and community, equipping them for the journey of restoration. While it might sound like her life has been very good, it hasn't been without its ups and downs. Today, we'll explore a little more of her life on Bleeding Daylight. Amber, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for inviting me, Rodney. It is a joy to be here. Such an honor. A lot of what you do is about bringing healing and and restoration, and we find that many times when that is a passion for people, they've been through their own journey of restoration. What was the, the trauma that needed healing in your life? My family growing up was part of public Christian ministry. When my dad was working as a public relations director for a Bible college, we had the PR image down what it looks like to be a conservative, Christian, Midwestern American family. The problem with that is that inside our home, behind closed doors, there were things that were happening that really people looking in wouldn't have known. You know, we all have that idea of what we make up about families and and their story. And behind closed doors, there was just a lot of family dysfunction. When we talk about dysfunctional families, our minds can go in all sorts of strange places. But I guess we first of all have to recognize that every family, because we're human, every family is dysfunctional in some way. So what was the the kind of thing that you would explain as, as the dysfunction happening there? My dad had grown up in his own family of origin, and we we use that phrase these days as kind of a trend, family of origin. But where he grew up was his own normal. When he got married young, he brought some of that into our own family. The ways of dealing with conflict that really were not healthy. With our story, there and so many other people who would relate with this is that you weren't quite sure when the bad days were going to be. And so we had a lot of joy in our home. Um, we had day vacations that, that we would take that were fantastic and um, really somewhat over the top. And yet then somehow when you weren't quite expecting it, there would be the moments of irrational anger Sometimes on our on our podcast, Grace Story podcast, we have um, a licensed counselor that speaks with us often that's on our team, Ryan, and he talks about big T and little t trauma and how big T would be those events that happen in, in a home or, um, you know, in a war or a car wreck and how little t trauma are those those kind of 
incidental, those covert, more emotional and and instances that happen. And, and that's how it would be in our home, whether it was just coming home from school and sensing that this was one of those times where you just needed to kind of escape to your room or maybe go off. Again, we lived on a Bible college campus. And so we had access to the gym there where the college students would play and we, we would just kind of disappear for some hours. As we would go through that kind of an environment where we were just kind of stayed on alert, because although we were having great conversations, we were having good experiences, unique experiences, people from all over the world coming to college there. So we got to interact with a lot of different people. And that created this like this opportunity then as I grew up to begin minimizing the things that had happened in, in our home. As I got married, I realized that I was bringing some of those same ways of dealing with conflict, those unhealthy approaches to an argument or kind of the selfish way I would deal with things because I was still working from this place of self-preservation. And I went back to get some, some help with that, with processing. And one of the, the stories that I recall from that time that maybe would put this into perspective is I was sitting in the counseling chair and those who have done some work may identify or relate with this a little bit. But, you know, as a group therapy session, there were four people there and four ladies. And as I shared my story of being a child and some of the spiritual trauma that had happened, I shared how I would go to bed at night and as a five, six-year-old little girl in a home like that, you know, it was all about getting attention. And, and my dad says I lied for the fun of it just to see if anybody would believe me. And I remember sitting in the chair and thinking, you know, wow, these ladies have already shared their story. I'm the last to go. And I'm so embarrassed to be here. I don't think that my story is worthy of sharing. I'd listened to one of the girls there sharing her story of, of incredible physical abuse and just some of those child protective services type details. And, and as I got up, I thought, you know, I, I did have those good vacations. I did have those moments. And, and I sat there and I recounted how as a little girl, I would go to bed and well-meaning, but my dad would come in and, and he would try to, you know, I, Amber, you, you are telling lies again. And I heard this from your teacher and, you know, liars go to a place of hell. And he would begin what I would call the hell talks. And sitting there in the dark, he would tell me about the horrors of hell and how real it was. And that's where pe people went and that, you know, we're bad and you'd be with all the bad people forever. And, you know, I'd lay there and I'd be terrified. I didn't want to go there. I, I wanted to do good. The little girl part of my heart that really did want to please Jesus would really just be begging to to be offered another chance. And after an, enough of those talks, I started to internalize the thought, you know, I think even as much as I want to be good, I don't think that I'm redeemable. I don't think that, that Jesus could love me. And so as I sat there in that chair recounting that story, and I got to the end, and I, I just I didn't physically feel like I could lift my head I just felt so ashamed to tell such, you know, there, there wasn't much to my story and, and I was embarrassed. And the counselor who sat there and, you know, the counselors who do these, these works are just such champions and we're so grateful for the work they do, asked me, you know, when you're, when you're able, would you mind 
just looking around and and I'd like to to have you connect with us here in the room. I finally, after a few minutes, I looked up and and I was surprised to see tears in the eyes of the other ladies sitting there. And the one that I had mentioned previously that had just such a, a some of those big T trauma moments in her story said, you know, I knew God was real because he kept me alive. And in your story, I pity you because your daddy took God away from you. And that's when I started to realize some of the spiritual trauma that had informed my story that had become so normal in uh, in the fabric as it just kind of wove through the moments. And even though there were many, many good moments, there were those moments that just started feeding the narrative that you're unredeemable. I know that your father was doing the best that he could with the upbringing that he had, and he's trying to to bring you an understanding of, of who God is, even though these hell talks, as you talk about them, uh, are misguided in the way that he is portraying God to you. And again, this is your story. We want to delve into to your story and, and the healing. But just for a moment, I'd, I'd like to ask, when your father has been confronted with, this is how it made me feel, what's his response been? Yeah. So as I started my counseling journey, um, let's see, I did that. I started this about 11 years ago because my, my second son, um, I was pregnant with him at the time. And one of the things my counselor asked me to do was to write a letter to my dad, kind of what you've asked, like, just tell him the way that these things had impacted you without the intention of giving it to him, just just to get it out there. So I did that, got to the end of the letter, my husband and I read through it, and and my husband Darren said, you know, I, I wonder if you shouldn't go ahead and give this to him. And so he prayed through that, and we sent that to him with the subject line, love you, Dad. And he still to this day chuckles a little bit like, hmm, that was an interesting way to start that. But 11 years ago, he was not at that place. And he opened the letter, and that started a process of actually what looked like disowning me, erasing our letter, our pictures the, from his laptop, and um, beginning to just disconnect from us, not answering phone calls anymore. And as he explains it, he said, I had never been confronted with that kind of truth and still been loved. From his point of view, if if I was going to be sharing this much tough stuff, then I must not love him anymore. And what I felt compelled to do is just to keep tracking him down and calling and saying, you know, I'm not going to get off the phone until we have a conversation. And we did that. And that led to years of working through the boundaries of what does it look like to to have a safe relationship still. But eventually, about five years after that, we we were able to share our story together at men's retreats and family camps and try to start be- beginning to make this aware that this is something that is happening in the church world. This is, I mean, this is happening everywhere, but I think in the church world, there's a tendency to close it down and either um, feel like, you know, nobody would understand, nobody else is dealing with this if we were better, a better Christian family. So let's just keep the image. And that silent suffering breeds more shame. 
being able to bring this and and I I love I think it goes with your name of bleeding daylight. What my dad and I did with beginning to share our family story did begin to kind of poke holes in that darkness that had been a part of Satan's stronghold within the church. And we're starting to see a real image of God here. This God who will call us on things that we've done that are that are not what we should be doing when we're not living as he's asked us to live. Yes. But there's that all enveloping love that entire time. And and sometimes we either go for, for one end or the other, where we go for he's all love and just excuses everything and it doesn't matter. Or as you experienced growing up, this idea of God as just being someone who's looking out to to tell you off when you've done a naughty thing. How difficult was it for you to come to that middle place of realizing there's a God who loves me no matter what, but I want to live right for him out of that sense of love? For me, there are different milestone moments that you look back and you say, okay, that was that was a new dawning for me. That was a moment of awareness that where I learned something new about God or something new about myself. Just to give a little backstory to this moment, in fourth grade, um, living there at the Bible College, I had the hostess thing down. My dad's a PR guy, you know, and we had hosted a missionary convention on the campus of the college. And there was um, a gentleman from Ukraine that had come over to share about his country. And um, in the dining hall, he turned around to my fourth grade self and said, hey, could you come here in his in his thick accent? And so I went over and he gave me this little wooden bowl. And he said, um, God told me that you will come and speak with, uh, work with my people someday. And of course, for me as a little girl, I was like, oh, shoot, is this what it means to be called to a mission field? Uh, you know, maybe that's what this means. So I tucked that away, put it, you know, my side table, my mantle, and eventually just ended up in a tote somewhere under my bed. But fast forward to when I'm now in my 30s, starting to do this work, wondering, you know, I have my high school years were spent in those chapels there at the college, fasting lunches and praying and doing all these things that I had heard from traveling evangelists that would come through the college and tell us what, how do you feel God, right? How do you connect with him? And I would try all those things as a high schooler and nothing worked. I never felt him. I could see him. I could see him at work. I didn't doubt that he was real, but I just, for me, it wasn't, it wasn't personal. I, I really carried that with me that he heard everyone else, but he didn't hear or see me. And so as, as I'm in my 30s and I'm beginning this journey of counseling and I'm asking him, you know, I kind of started this question, like, who are you really? Um, seems to be, you know, I can teach you to all these other women, but who are you for me? I was um, taking a nap one day and I sat up with a start and realized, okay, uh, we were ready to go to Europe my husband is a large animal veterinarian. We live on a 40-acre grass-fed beef farm here we, that we run. And over in Slovakia and Europe, there is a girls' transition home for orphans. And so they own cattle here on our farm, and we support them. So a world away, but being able to do mission work in that way. And we were going to go see the home. And as I started thinking through, oh my goodness, I remember that little wooden bowl that that gentleman from Ukraine and started wondering and putting some things together. I messaged the missionary that we were going to connect with. And they said, yeah, sure enough, that gentleman would have been the professor at the college where 
this home mother of the orphanage transition home would have been. And so just some of those people and those events, they would have come together at that point. And it was like in that moment, God brought everything together and said, Amber, way back then, there was a lot of rubble that was keeping you from seeing and feeling me. But I planted that little wooden bowl so long ago so that now when you're in a place where you're working through and you're safe and your eyes can be open to this, that you would know I have been with you all along. And I like to share that story not so much about the sensationalism or to be dramatic, but just to remind people that there are times when God's grace is showing up in our stories and we don't realize it because there's so much baggage and rubble that gets packed around us as we take on these kind of lies about who we are and and this rock that's being put on. And pretty soon, we're just kind of covered up like my six-year-old Vivian, who goes to bed with so many stuffies piled around, you can almost not find her, except for these things aren't so cuddly and nice. And as we begin to do our counseling journey, if we're willing to really lean in and look at those for what they were and unpack those uh, with a professional who's able to file those in the right ways in our family history and begin to unpack those in a way that eventually we can see, oh, just right over the top of this pile is, I think I see some eyeballs and maybe they're smiling at me. And you get a little bit farther down and, and eventually you realize, wow, there really is a good, good father who has been with me all the time. And not only is he sitting on the other side of this waiting, he's actually unpacking this with me. We go back to that first group counseling session that you were a part of, and you have these feelings that everyone else has this dramatic story. I don't. You're tempted to feel, well, I just grew up in a, in a home where dad was sometimes a bit grumpy. I don't really have a story. How many times do you think that there are people who feel a bit that way, that they've heard the, the dramatic, the, the overly traumatic stories of others and think, well, I've got nothing to complain about. And so they sit on their own trauma. Yeah, I think this happens a lot. And within our Grace Story community, I get messages about this quite a bit. And I think that's because we can always find somebody's story who is worse than ours, who seems to have had a harder time than ours. We almost feel like we don't have the right to look at our story with anything but gratefulness because it wasn't as bad. That in itself is, of course, minimizing. But when we go back to look at our stories, we're not going back to point fingers or to just shame other people. What we're doing when we go back to process our stories is just to get the story straight for what it was. And so those emotional, those kind of covert, subtle, whether it was just neglect in a way that a parent that wasn't present or someone who had to be tough, sometimes it's not even a parent that was, was unkind. Sometimes they just have so much going on that there's a, a matter of neglect because they're not able, you know, I think single parent homes and that sort of thing. They're just not able to give because of their so their schedule or they're so busy. And so we're not going back to, to pass blame. We're just going back to set the story straight. It must be incredibly satisfying for you to now 
begin to really enjoy God more and more for who he is, but even more satisfying, as difficult as it was at the time, to help your dad come to that view of this is who God is. This is the loving God who calls to me. Yeah, my father and I have a very good relationship now. And I think that that is one of the the things that I share with our Grace Story community about why is it worth it? Because it's so hard to go process those stories. And, you know, some people might say, you know what, it's working. It's not perfect, but it's working. I, you know, our family at least still gets together at Christmas. And why would I mess all that up? And we had a tough road of family healing, but it is worth it in that when we get back together, it is from a place of authenticity. It's just this respect for one another because we understand where each other comes from. I understand what his family was like and why he brought into our family what he did. But I also understand the courage it has taken for him to do the work he has done. He's now a chaplain in the hospital system in in downtown Cincinnati. And the just kind, genuine care that he is able to bring into those rooms as, as a pastor and chaplain is something that has grown out of this journey of being willing to take a look at the things that were done and the things that um, were experienced and, and say, you know, we can't just live in regret, but we can live from a place of hope today. And hopeless is not elusive. It's not exclusive to a family like ours. And that's one reason I started with Grace Story in 2019 was just to share this idea. This is for everyone. You don't have to settle for this is good enough, and at least it's working. There is a so much bigger, brighter way of living life. I would go to funerals and just be like, wow, they're done. They're just done. And I'm going to be faithful, and I'm going to keep serving, and I'm going to live, and I'm going to keep telling people about Jesus. But it would just be so nice to be done. And to go from that place to a place where now you think, wow, there's so much to live for. And when you can really be in a relationship with God where you understand that He is a, a Father that is personal, and He sees you, and he, he calls you by name, that's a totally different place to live life. And that's an amazing turnaround, going from being at a, a funeral and almost envying the person in the box yes. to saying, now <laughs> I want to live my life to its full. I, I guess it must amaze you as you look back sometimes and, and see how far you've come. And, you know, and my husband, Darren, when I would come home from those funerals and say that, he'd be like, you know, I'm, I'm not sure that's quite normal. And I say, you know, you, you don't feel that way? And he said, no, I, <laughs> I don't. And so to realize that, yeah, um, if you're in that place where you just think, wow, it is so hopeless, it's so dark, man, it seems like everybody else has a handle on this hope thing, to just speak to that person for a moment and say, I was there. You know, I I just kept living, but wasn't really living to the fullest. I, I would remind myself to laugh with my children and and we had good times. And that's the thing that I would stress is this isn't this is one of those things where it can just be that thread that that just weaves its way through this this discontentment, this this wondering of, man, there's gotta be more than this. And there is, there is more. 
And how do you find that? I think that is where the questioner was like, well, I want to know, how do I find it? And with my journey, I had someone who was what I call a friend in the waiting. And she was a licensed counselor, but she just came alongside and said, you know, Amber, I see something in you and really walked that road of mentorship with me and began to say, you know, here's, here is the therapist I think might help. Here's a book that might speak to what you're, you're struggling with right now. And, and so when it came time to, wow, I think I have something to offer the world here. I wonder, do I write a book? How does this look? And I really felt like God gave me this vision for Grace Story where we could do the same thing and, and walk alongside people no matter where you are, because we're, we're right there online to be able to walk alongside you and connect you with the resources that you need. I was going to say, at what point of your own healing journey, of your journey toward restoration, did you think, I need to be walking alongside others on their own journey? There's a time, there's a place for taking a season of retrospection and and doing the work and leaning in. But if we wait until we feel fully healed, fully qualified, till we feel like we have arrived to serve out of our points of wounding, you know, we'll wait a really long time because this is a journey and there's always a little more progress to be made. And so for me, it was just when I finally felt like I had my head above water and I wasn't in those drowning stages and I thought, wow, there is a shore, you know, I, I think that there is something I'm swimming towards here. And then to to kind of get to that point where like, you know, there's more people in this with me. And I, and I think that I could be an encouragement to them if they knew they weren't alone. And so often it's a case of, I'm a few steps ahead of you. I'm not all the way there, but I'm a few steps ahead. Let me invite you in on this journey. You're not saying, hey, I've got this whole thing figured out. You're saying, come along on the journey with me, aren't you? Yes. And, and that's the way it is. You know, even in the business world, they say the, the best teachers are the ones that are just a few steps ahead who just kind of came through what you're working through. We're not looking for the arrived mentors. We're looking at those who have said, you know, I was just there and man, you're going to make it. But also that there that there's something that they can learn as well. And so you're learning together because there's some places that I have people who are my senior in age who are learning from me and the things that I've done in my process. And yet at the very same time, I'm learning from their lived wisdom and what they have to offer. And so we're giving to each other. Tell me about the dynamic within your own family, because I guess when there has been something happen in your family of origin, you can be just so on guard that that can cause issues itself. How have you learned to walk that balance of saying, I need to be aware of these things, but not let them overcloud what's happening in my own family? Yeah, I think that that is a very good question and one that can be messy at first. I think when we're learning boundaries, we have to give ourselves grace to do it messy a little bit. Because anytime we're learning a new skill that we've never practiced before, it's going to take you a little while to master it, right? So with our family, as I did my processing, you know, there was actually a year and a half that I did not go home because I was a little too raw from the things I was I was going through. But then as I started stepping back into that, and what does that look like? Being able to honor the fact that my siblings had a different experience than I did. And so my story while we all were in the same environment, they're at a different point in their journey. They experience things differently because we all have a different role in our family. And so 
being able to not hold so tightly to my own reality that I did not give grace for them to experience it differently. Then if you take another step closer to more uh, my husband, mine, and my children, I have four children, being able to say, okay, how does that look when I am doing deep, deep counseling work and I'm still homeschooling and I'm still being the wife and the mom and what does that look like? And so again, giving myself grace to do it messy and to understand there may be Sometimes along that journey where they get extra screen time than I would normally kind of ration out, we might get behind in schoolwork as I make trips to get my counseling done. And I would drive down the five hours to Cincinnati and come back to central Michigan. And so being able to understand that there's a lot of grace that you have to give yourself and that you have to give others to be where they need to be in this. But also, yes, there are still responsibilities. You still have to, at some point, clean your house. You still have to make some dinner or order it in. But being able to kind of walk that with grace. Tell me more about Grace Story Ministries. You mentioned that it started in 2019. What does it look like today? What does it offer people who are going through their own journey? Um, Thank you for asking. Yes, Grace Story. We actually just came through our annual women's conference. We have a yearly conference in Cincinnati, Ohio. What we do with the conference is kind of pair storytellers. We are all familiar with the format where someone shares their story and it's so relatable. And we kind of feel like, wow, that's me too. But usually at the end of those sessions, there's this kind of go get it help us out there. And so what we have done is paired that with master's level instructors. So either in-field experts like counselors or um, spiritual leaders that come in and give very practical tools as that follow-up session happens on, you know, this is what spouse betrayal looks like, and this is what you can do about it right now. These are some tools you can take home with you if you're in a, in a situation that, you know, trust has been betrayed. And we talk about the hard things because we believe that the, that's how we do shine light into the darkness that has been just hidden for so long is by beginning to uncover these things and, and talk about them openly, honestly, without judgment. We're as much here for the perpetrator as the victim because if we're honest, we've all been a perpetrator at some point on some varying level. That's just the way fallen humanity works. And then we also have a free but private, it's exclusive. So there's a couple questions you have to answer to get in just to make sure that we know who you are. But on Facebook, there is a community group that we have there where the counselors come and share video teachings. It's all free resources there. So it's a little bit of a taste of conference all year long. So it's not just two days of high, but also how do we walk with you those those other days of the year? And then, of course, we've got our Grace Story podcast, which, again, brings that same those same conversations to the podcast format where our community director, Nate, does a fantastic job just weaving through what does it look like for those those grace moments to come up and tackling what are some of those, you know, CBT, what does that mean? And, and how does that look when you're in a therapy room? So just being able to have some of those straightforward conversations that break down the scary unknowns of some of this, this world of mental health 
and putting that all from a biblical worldview. Tell me about some of those stories that have come through on the podcast. I know that there are people listening right around the world, so not everyone can get along to a yearly conference, but everyone can access a lot of the resources on the website, including the podcast. Tell me about some of those stories. Yeah, and and actually, we do have different times where we open the digital archives for those who are following along. So that's always something to stay tuned for. When I mean, we have we do have people all over the world that listen in. That is a resource that is available after conference is over, and we're about to open those up. I think in the next month or two. Now that this conference is done. Yeah, we've had some incredible opportunities to walk with people through their own stories. And I'm thinking of a single mom now that had just come through a very difficult time in her marriage. Her marriage ended with the husband dying of cancer and they moved to a new area and three beautiful little girls and a son and she came to Grace Story and she's, you know, we had encouraged her to come to conference where she could get started and get some help with grief process. And I had said, you know, maybe that would be a fun girls weekend for you and your teen girls. And she said, you know, this isn't about just a fun girls weekend. This is about survival for my family. As her story began to unfold, we started realizing that before the husband had passed away, there was a lot of, again, hidden abuse in the home. The one daughter had experienced sexual trauma at the hands of the father, and that had been covered for a long time, and um, different things that had popped up. And And we started walking with this family and being able to connect them with a counselor who they work with and being able to offer just the support for a mom who felt alone and wasn't really sure where to turn. And that is someone who's come to the different conferences and and she's involved in our community and she's just such a light to other people now as she begins to give back and minister from that, the people in her own community. Being able to see those stories of those who had just who were who were where I was, you know, and that is what has been, I think, the most encouraging to me is to realize that God does bring beauty from ashes. And what had seemed like maybe his silence was him shaping my story and never allowing anything more than what he could use for his glory to be brought about. And here it is being shown over and over and over. Another girl that came to us and she had messaged me privately and she said, you know, I have brought so many questions to my church and I'm being labeled a hypocrite because I don't know all of the right answers. And I don't necessarily just take things hook, line, and sinker. And I do ask the questions. And I'm being ostracized by my church. And I and I just have been watching on your page that maybe this would be a safe place to ask questions. And to be able to walk with someone like her who is rebuilding her faith. And instead of just running from God, who seems so scary and vindictive and angry at her, to be able to start walking with her and and teach about a God who who does hold us, who does sit and weep with us, and what does that practically look like? One of the things that I've noticed through your story, and also the lady that you mentioned there with the the young daughters and the trauma that they had experienced and is now helping others, is that it's not just that we get to a place where we think we'll help others, but that actually helping others seems to be part of the healing journey as well. 
Yes, yes, indeed. And when I was in my counseling journey, I remember because I do love public speaking and, and I had taught different women's ministries before going into Grace Story. But I remember having a conversation with God and I'm kind of a strong-willed child. So sometimes our conversations are not necessarily as holy as some might think. I had remember talking to him and it, and it felt like he just asked, you know, just, just here's a pause, just a minute. We're going to get to the cool stuff, Amber. There's, there's stuff, there's things that I have for you, but this journey of restoration is to restore the relationship between me and you, God and Amber. And so the cool stuff will come out of that. The ministry opportunities will come out of that. But the reason, the purpose of restoration is to restore what was lost between you and me and that relationship. It's been an amazing journey, and I'm wondering if people are wanting to connect with you, find out more. Where's the easiest place for them to find you? We're on the various social media, Facebook and Instagram, gracestoryministries.com on the website. Instagram, my personal page is mygracestory, but you can also look up Grace Story Ministries there as well. You can find us on just about any place that you listen to podcasts, including the one you're listening to right now, by searching Grace Story, all one word, Grace Story Podcast. There's plenty of great material there, resources for people, no matter what the journey has been, there's a move toward healing in what you'll find at at Grace Story Ministries. I will put links in the show notes at bleedingdaylight.net. But Amber, I just want to say thank you so much for spending time and and opening up about your story here today on Bleeding Daylight. Thank you so much for the opportunity to speak with you and share a conversation. Thank you for listening to Bleeding Daylight. Please help us to shine more light into the darkness by sharing this episode with others. For further details and more episodes, please visit bleedingdaylight.net.